0: I didn't know Kellen could sing until this morning. I'm so pumped about that. Thank you, dude. Sure. And we'll put you to work, man. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, if you can find a Bible, there are some in baskets down by your feet. If you can find one, get with me to Ephesians chapter six. That would be on page 950 in the Bibles we have here. And uh, while you're getting there, let me just say a word about why we do it this way. Um, I really do believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and that when He speaks to us through it, it's His voice coming through loud and clear. And so the strategy that we employ each week is we we want our sermons to reflect that that uh, priority, that, that we want God to speak. In fact, the Bible tells us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so I'll read the passage in just a minute, and I, the question I always have is, if we don't do it in church, where else is that going to happen? Um, I want to be obedient to what God tells us to do, and I think we should read the Bible. And then I think that the message should really reflect what God says. And so at the end of the day, my hope is that you see some of the points that we talk about in the message and you actually find them in the passage in front of you and you say, I see that that is God's word, not the words or opinions of a man. Um, So that's what we do. So let me go ahead and read it. We'll pray and we will get to work. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're starting in verse 10. We're in a series called Battle Ready, and we're talking about the fight uh, that we are engaged in. So so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Let's pray. God, would you help us this morning to hear your voice? Would you, by your Spirit, through your Word, help each of us to understand the the magnitude of what we're talking about today? The reality of an enemy and his strategies to do us harm. And would you resource us, God, in your power, by your mighty strength, would you give us everything that we would need to live effectively for the glory of you, God? Help us, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask and answer three questions. Why is it that we're fighting? Who is it that we're fighting with? And how is it that we should fight? So let's get to work. Why is it that we're fighting? I've heard this uh, analogy, and I found it very helpful, people will talk about the Christian life as feeling like it's living between D-Day and V-E-Day. So D-Day, talking about World War II, D-Day was June 6th, 1944, and it was the Battle of Normandy when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, and people will look at that and say, that was a decisive day for the entire war that the victory that happened there was actually the turning point in the war where the Allied forces were able to say it is because of what happened there that they were ultimately victorious. However, it wasn't until nearly a year later that there was a VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, and that was on May 8, 1945. And so the time between V Day and then the time when VE Day occurred, it would be foolish to think that that was an easy time. Though the decisive battle had been fought and won, there was still skirmishes, there were still significant battles to be fought between there and the end. In the same way, people have pointed this out, in the same way, the Christian life is like that. We have a V-Day, it's, it's Calvary, it's the, how, how Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was crucified and buried and rose from the grave victorious. And we can look at that and say, we've won. Christians are victorious. However, V-E-Day, Is still a future reality for us. It's still a day that's far off. We're waiting for the return of our king. We're waiting for the for the battle to finally subside, for it to finally be totally and completely over. But in the meantime, it would be very foolish of us to think, because the victory already happened, this is easy street, right? It would be foolish of us to think that the the enemy, though he is ultimately defeated, isn't still waging war against us. He is. He knows he's defeated, his he knows his days are numbered. He's enraged and he hates us. And so we have to be battle ready. And the Bible presents for us then what it is that we need to know in order to be effective in this fight. So why is it that we're fighting? We're fighting because we have an enemy who hates our guts. Look with me again at verses 10 and 11. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to this church, he's simply just stating fact. You guys need to be ready. You need to be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. You need to recognize there's an enemy who is against you. There is a battle to be fought, and this is for all Christians. If you look at the context, I mean, just think with me for a minute about the letter itself. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, to the Ephesian believers, and if you look at the, the heading just at the very front, this is not addressed to a sp- specific group of people other than the church at large. It's saying, I want this letter to go to that church and to be read to everybody. Here's the point that I'm making. Spiritual warfare is not some thing reserved for the elite or superior Christians. Sometimes we might think, yeah, spiritual warfare, that's, you know, that's probably for like missionaries or church leaders or, you know, people who are very serious about their faith. But I'm just an ordinary believer and I'm just trying to make it through life. Does this really apply to me? And the answer is yes it does. When Paul is speaking, he's saying this is the he's presenting it as this is the normal Christian life. There's a devil, he has schemes, he is against you, you need to be ready. So, we need to be aware that this is something that God is calling each of us to be engaged in. Now, if you look at the themes of the letter, I think this is significant too. The book, the book of Ephesians is written to a church, and it's talking about what it looks like to be a part of the community of faith. And so some very important themes emerge as you go through it. It talks about things like unity. The, tr- the church should be a place where believers come together And within this community, within this body, within this family, there's unity. And then it's not saying we're all the same. So, another theme that emerges is diversity that God gives each of us different gifts, and with those giftings and passions, they come together, and we don't become, you know, all the same, but we have diversity and still unity. And it talks about purity, it talks about how the church is supposed to be different, it's supposed to be this counter-cultural reality that points to the realities of who God is and what he's like. So there's purity. And then it talks about relational beauty. It talks about how within the church, we should be interacting with each other in a way that communicates this beautiful and compelling community, even down to the way that we talk to each other, that there should be no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building up. We should sing to one another. There's all kinds of things here in this letter that helps us to recognize spiritual warfare applies to all of that, right? And, and it applies to even the nitty-gritty stuff. So just peek with me over into chapter 5. If you've got that Bible open in front of you, what are the things that are happening in, in chapter 5? Um, 1, 2, and 3 present the glory of the gospel in panoramic view. 4, 5, and 6 get very practical, Here's what it's like to do to apply the gospel to these different things. Chapter 5, it gets so nitty-gritty that it says, here's how relationships work within the family. Here's how a husband is supposed to love his wife, and a wife is supposed to relate to her husband. Here's how parents are supposed to interact with their children within this believing community. Here's how you know, your, the workplace ought to feel, as it talks about employers and employees and how the gospel transforms that relationship. Then all of a sudden... Boom, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Does it feel like he he just shifted gears without using the clutch? Is there what's the connection between nitty-gritty life in the believing community and in family and in your workplace? What's the connection between that and spiritual warfare? Here's what I think it is: God wants us to live our lives for his glory down to the details of everything that we do. And For us to do that effectively, it's spiritual warfare. Parenting, spiritual warfare. Being an effective witness in your workplace, spiritual warfare. Loving your significant other, spiritual warfare. Being committed to and loving and championing your church community and contributing and being a significant part of that, that's spiritual warfare. So why is it that we fight? We fight because our marriages depend on it. We fight because our families depend need us to fight. We fight because our Christian witness demands it. We fight because there is an enemy and there's a significant war that's being waged and God is helping us to see he's going to resource us to do it, but it matters. So why is it that we fight? We fight because this stuff really, really matters. I've been a Christian for for a while now. I've been engaged in some form of full-time ministry for, for 16 years. And I've been through different seasons of spiritual warfare, but I will say this, the launch of this campus has felt like spiritual warfare at a level that I I wasn't even aware of. And I could begin to outline different things that have happened since the launch of this campus, but let me just suggest to you that there is an enemy and he hates us. And if you were to think about what would his ambition be for us as a campus, what does he want? What does our enemy want for us to experience? Burnout. He wants you to get sick and tired of being sick and tired here, of having to do so much to pull off a church service or events for the community or anything else. What does he want for us? He wants us to be in relational disunity, right? He wants us to, to be upset with one another and for little disagreements to become these large things that make us to question character of, of, of other individuals. He wants this thing to to blow up. He wants this thing to not be around in five years. He wants it to go away. And he is strategizing to see to it that that would happen. We have an enemy, so why is it that we fight? We have to. We have to fight. So what is it that we're fighting against? Let's look at this. What is it that we're fighting against? Well, we're given kind of three different things here to look at. And one is the devil. And we're fighting also against his schemes. He has a plan. And also we're fighting against the demonic activity, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. So let's, let's look at it. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There is a devil. Is that, is that kind of weird to say out loud? There's a devil. And it's kind of weird to even talk about it because in our society, we have minimized him maybe even to the point of really thinking that's just kind of you know, archaic stuff that people talk about and we think about a little devil with a pitchfork as a, you know icon or whatever, but we don't think about the reality that there is a devil and he is at work today. That he woke up daydreaming about how he could destroy you. That he, he hates your guts and he's, he's at work. But there was a, a, a French poet... And I can't pronounce his name because it's French and it probably, you know, looks a certain way, but sounds way cooler. But he said this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. There's a lot of us that kind of go through life right now and we don't even give a thought to the devil because we treat him as if he's not real. He doesn't exist. He's just kind of, you know, fairy tale kind of stuff. And so we need to be careful that when we read the Bible and The Bible just says there's a devil and he has schemes that we don't just quickly dismiss that as old thinking or archaic thinking that isn't true. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this in the 70s. I wonder what he would say today. He said, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We've all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. We treat the world as if the devil doesn't exist. And we try to explain things away using categories like nature and nurture. So if we see something that doesn't fit with how we think God wants things to work, we, we consider how nature and nurture may have Produce that, so we look at somebody and we go, you know, maybe there's something physiologically going on with them. The chemicals are imbalanced, and they're they're making these choices, and they need to be medicated and helped to get back on track to how God wants them. We look at nature and we say something's wrong there, or we look at nurture and we say maybe you know maybe these people were were um, abused. Maybe they were sexually abused and they're just kind of operating out of their woundedness and it's causing them to do certain things. Or, or we kind of try to explain the world in those categories. But we leave off these significant biblical categories of evil and demonic and what the devil is doing in this world. And so we, we're just not even prepared to talk about what's really happening because we don't acknowledge this reality. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie... Silence of the Lambs. It's an older movie with Anthony Hopkins. He's one of my favorite actors, and, and uh, it's just a cra- pretty crazy movie. I don't recommend it, but there's a part in there where this young lady, this officer, says something, and Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins' character, the serial killer, he hears what she says, and he, he responds. And she says, what happened to him to make him like this? right? That's that psychological evaluation. What happened to him to make him like this? And this was in the 90s, and it's telling of where we're at as a society. He replies, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up on good and evil for behaviorism. You got everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand to say I'm evil? Am I evil, Officer Starling? And here's what he's pointing out. We have this this way of evaluating the world where we don't even consider that there's a devil and demonic influences. And, And we've gotten to the point in our society where that French poet was right. For most of us, we operate as if the devil doesn't even exist. And the Bible reminds us again this morning, he is real. He does have a plan to do harm to you if you're going to fight you need to be aware of him and you need to be aware of his schemes. Now, Paul doesn't take time to describe who the devil is and what he's up to, right? I wish he would have given us a biography here. Here's where he came from. Here's what he's up to. But even the way that he talks about him and the title he gives to him helps us out at least a little bit. He calls him the devil, which comes from a Greek word called diabolos. And, you you know, you might hear English words that we have, like diabolical. Um, but the devil means, so di- diabolos means slanderer. Here's what Paul is just telling us, even by calling him by this name. He's saying, the enemy is one who, is a, who, who speaks ill of God and God's creation. So the devil is your enemy, and here's what he's doing. He is proposing to you that God is not trustworthy. Or that god is not reliable or that god is not lovely that's what he's been doing from the very beginning think about what he did in genesis the early chapters of genesis what did he do to humanity he said did god really say this he's slandering god he's calling into question the character of god he says maybe god doesn't want you to do this because he's afraid of you and he doesn't want you to realize your full potential if you were to eat of this fruit that he's forbidden He'd, he, he would, God wouldn't be happy. He doesn't want what's best for you. He's withholding things from you. What is he doing? He's slandering the character of God. And he's very effective at it. Uh, he, he also wants us to slander creation. So we look at one another just like Adam did when God questions Adam after they ate from that tree that was forbidden of them. He, he, he says, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault, right? She, that woman you gave me, God, she's the problem. It's not me. That's slander. That's what God does. He worked, or that's what, that's what the devil is doing. He's trying to get us to question the character of God and the goodness of God's image in other people. And he's, he's highly effective at it. So you have an enemy and he is evil and he wants what's worst for you. And he has schemes against you. We're supposed to put on the armor so that we would be prepared for the devil's schemes. He is, here's, an, here's another word that we could use. He's very strategic. He's looking at you, and he is devising a plan to do you harm. And he's actually really, really good at it. Um, two books come to mind that are very helpful on this. I'd love to spend time going through all these different ways that the devil works in our lives, um, but we, simp- we can't do that. I mean, it, that would take way, way too long. Um, one book comes to mind, Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. In it, I was counting this week, I think there were 35 different schemes that he goes through. So if you were a note taker and we went that way this morning, you'd be so thrilled, you know, getting to 35. But 35 different devices, different schemes that Satan will use against you. But the other book that I think has been pretty formative in the way I think about it is. Um, c s. Lewis Screwtape letters where he it's, it's a book about correspondence between written as if there's correspondence between a senior demon and a younger associate demon demon and the, the younger demon will write to the older one and talk about his subject, the person that he's working on and ask for help and give updates and those sorts of things and and Wormwood writes back and gives um, you know ways to try to mess up this person, this individual, and and prevent that person from uh, moving forward or moving toward the glory of God. So the devil has schemes. And let me just say quickly three things about his schemes. Number one, they're effective, right? He is effective. He knows what he's doing, and he's really good at it, and he's been doing it for a very, very long time. The second thing you need to know about his schemes are they are deceptive, We shouldn't think about the devil with a pitchfork going, go do this evil thing, right? The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. It's beautiful. He's beautiful. And so what he does then is he deceives us. He makes us think that we're making the best choice. He makes us think that we're actually, he helps us to justify things that are not justifiable. But he's deceiving us. His schemes are very deceptive. The third thing I want you to know is they're tailor-made for you. He's sitting around studying you, looking for your weaknesses. He's trying to make a plan, a strategy that will be most likely to be well received by you. Um, So, a couple months ago, my computer wasn't working, and I had to get new new hardware for it, and back it up, and um, put everything back on. And in that whole process. I ended up with corrupted files and people were able to get my password. And I mean, I don't really know what I'm talking about right now, but that's what I think happened. Somebody got into my computer and stole all my stuff. But then I, so, so it created a lot of problems. They got into our, our, our checking accounts and they did some things. And, um, but then I got an email and in the subject line, it had my password, my, my, you know, the one I had to get rid of, but I had my password in there. And here's what they said, it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't protected. It just, there's my password in the subject line. And then it was a blackmail letter and it said, we have gotten your password, obviously, and we have opened your computer and turned on your webcam and we've done all these different things. And we now have all this information about you and these things that you've done. And if you want that to stay private, you will send money in this way to this location. They were bluffing, right? So thank God that I didn't have all this stuff that they could actually leverage against me. They were bluffing, but they were, they were tailor-making a strategy to try to get me fearful and to try to get me to respond. Satan is the same way. He's going to tailor-make a plan for you, and he's not bluffing. He, he, he knows what you are prone to. He knows what will entice you. His strategy, the evil schemes that he's working against you, He will leverage them to try to destroy you. And so you need to be aware of that. What are you fighting? You're fighting the devil and his schemes and spiritual forces of evil. Look with me at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's talking about this spiritual reality. We we are fighting against Satan and his demons. These forces, these formidable, powerful forces, and it says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. But a lot of the commentators point out, it, it's, we should read it: we're, we're not only fighting against flesh and blood, meaning the spiritual forces are at work in the world. But they also they often manifest in our relationships, don't they? That when some of the places where spiritual warfare is most prominent, and I think the letter itself to Ephesians shows this. It's in our relationships. So what do we do in spiritual warfare? We begin to behave in the way that the the devil is enticing us to. And our relationships get strained and there's conflict and difficulty and all sorts of pain and grief there. But behind all of that, as this verse is telling us here, is this power, these spiritual forces, this authority and powers of the dark world, and all of that is at work trying to you know, cause us harm. So we need to be aware of that. We, if we're looking at this then, we should actually be shaking in our boots. We should be thinking, if all of that is arrayed against me, what hope would I ever have at being successful in this fight? If I'm fighting an invisible foe who's been around for a long, long time and he's strong and he's got a whole army arrayed against me, what hope do I have? So when we ask the question, who it is that we're fighting, we have the ability to answer. We're fighting the devil, we're fighting against his schemes, and we're fighting against these powerful spiritual forces of evil. So finally, here's the third question we need to ask and answer. How is it then that we should fight? What what is it that we should be doing? How is it that we should be fighting against this reality? And when we ask that question and we look at the text, we find a paradox, which is pretty typical in Christianity. Two things that feel like they hardly go together, but God weds them together. Here's the paradox. We must put on the armor of God and fight with everything we've got. We need to take a stand. We need to exert some effort and some, we need to think about the enemy and and also strategize so that we wouldn't be prone to his attacks and we need to work. And we need, to, we need to do these different things, put on this armor and fight and take this stand. But the other side of it is, and we are going to be strong in the Lord and the mighty power that he provides. We're going to do something, but we're going to rely on God providing us with the strength to even do it. If, if we don't have both of those things working together, if you valiantly get on the battlefield and say, I'm going to give the, a de- the devil a run for his money, I'm going to make it really, really hard for him, but you're not relying on the strength that God surprise, supplies, good luck. Right? If we don't hold this paradox together and we say, yeah, I'm going to do everything that I can, there, there's a story that comes to mind in the New Testament where There's a a little skirmish between followers of Christ and some demonic activity. And those disciples walk in all confidently. And then what happens? They get beat so bad, they don't have pants after the fight. You you have to get pretty badly beaten to walk away without pants on. But that's what happens when we think, I've got this. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to put on my armor, and I'm going to go to battle against the devil, and I'm going to give him a run for his money. No, we need to do all of that, but we do it in the strength that God supplies. The other side of it too is some of us will think, God's going to give me everything I need. I don't have to worry about it. And then we never get to work. We never engage in the battle. And and, and also in that regard, sometimes we we can miss out on what God is trying to do. So let's hold this Together, these two different concepts together. The first one is put on the armor of God. You see it at the front of our section and the end of our section. Verse 11 says, put on the armor of God. Then if you look at verse 13, after the enemy has been described, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. So we need to put on the armor of God. And what we'll do is next week, we'll look at all the different pieces of armor and we'll talk about why they are significant and important and their usefulness in the fight. But let me just say today, what we need to do is we need to be aware of the resources that God has for us. And we need to wake up daily and at least weekly and think through, how can I put these things on me? How can I be prepared for the battle at hand? How can I be ready to engage in a significant way for the sake of my church and my family and my Christian witness? How can I put these different things on? And you can read them for yourself and be better prepared for it. But come back next week and uh, we'll talk about the armor. The second thing is to be strong in the Lord. And we, f- we see that in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We need to be the kind of people who... Trust in what God is doing. We talked about over the last couple weeks the importance of faith and trust in the promises of God to be successful in the battle. We talked about the importance of obedience to align yourself to be in the, the Lord and what He's calling you to do. And here, what I'm suggesting is we need to be people who are learning how to apply the gospel to our fight. Meaning, we're putting on the armor, we're going to battle, but we're doing it in confidence that Christ Himself. Will make us victorious because he is victorious so let me show you kind of briefly how this works if you look at verse 12 it tells us that there are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms but that is not the first place where that phrase shows up in the letter the first place where that phrase shows up in the letter is right at the very beginning after paul introduces himself and who he's writing to listen to this this is ephesians 1 verse 3 He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's what I'm saying. We need to be people who recognize yes, there is a spiritual battle, there are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms with which we are fighting against. But God in Christ has given us every blessing in the heavenly realms, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We go to battle with confidence, not in ourselves, but in our Savior. We trust in him and the work that he's done for us and loving us so completely that he died for us and rose again. We believe that it is his power at work in and through us that will make us able to withstand the attacks of the devil. And all the equipment that we're ever going to put on, all the resources that God has given to us, they are actually armor that Christ himself has obtained for us. He's gonna give us everything that we need. So we need to fight in the strength that he supplies by his mighty power, recognizing that he's the one who ultimately is victorious over Satan. And that's what John says when he wrote a letter to to another church in 1 John 3. He talks about what Jesus came to do And he said this the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What he did at Calvary and continues to do by his Spirit and will ultimately do one day when he returns, he is defeating our foe. And all we need to do then is we put on that armor he gives us and we go into the battlefield confident in him and what he's able to do. You do have an enemy, he hates your guts. He is fighting against you, but you have every resource that you need, every blessing that you need in Jesus Christ. So let me pray, and I'll invite the worship team to come once more, and we'll sing to this God. But let's pray. Would you join me by standing, and we'll pray together as we stand. God, for some of us this morning, it's a wake-up call we have an enemy. And he is he's not sitting idly by, but he is actively at work against us, and we needed to be reminded of that. But God, we are so grateful that though we have an enemy who is formidable and powerful and scary, you have given us everything we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we can confidently go into this battle trusting that that we'll be victorious, that you, Christ, defeated the works of the devil. And so we trust in you, and we ask that you would give us wisdom to do what you're calling us to do in this fight. Help us to put on the armor and be ready to take a stand this week, this month, this year. Help us, God. We pray in your name. Amen.